I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, that new guy, he plays guitar and he sings. Um, he's kind of like the total package. That makes um, two-thirds of your pastors, um, both teachers and singers and musicians, but don't get any ideas. That's never happening with me. Um, but Jason is on a vacation today, so we were blessed to have AJ leading us this morning and uh, demonstrating some of his other gifts and abilities to serve the congregation. A few things going on in the life of the church is actually kind of a lot. The school year is starting back soon, and this is one of those uh, busy seasons of time. Tonight is our back-to-school splash, and that will be um, water slides and water games for kids um, and youth, middle school, high school. Uh, it's 5 to 7 o'clock here on our campus. There will be dinner provided. We'd love for any of you to come, whether you are a longtime member or visitor, whether you have kids or not, just come and, and hang out and hang out with uh, your church family while we watch the kids uh, run around and have some fun uh, 5 to 7 tonight. I'll also tell you that there is an event in Chatsworth that I want you to know about tonight that is a Saturate Prayer event for Murray County in the city of Chatsworth. You probably remember, I hope you do, that now almost two years ago, we started this initiative called Saturate in Whitfield County, in which we wanted to make sure that every home in Whitfield County had a um, copy of the Jesus film and an invitation to a local church or multiple local churches delivered, hand-delivered to their home. We did that in Whitfield County at the end of 2019, and um, COVID became an interruption for Murray County, but those plans in Murray County, uh, they've not forgotten about it, and they're still wanting to move forward. So tonight will be a prayer event at the Chatsworth City Park. So any of you that live in Murray County that want to be a part of that, or anyone that just really wants to see Murray County reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, some of our people will be there praying with some of the other churches um, for that movement that is starting soon in Murray County. That is um, 6 to 7.30 tonight at Chatsworth City Park. Um, next week, more coming on. Uh, next week, when you leave the service you will be given an opportunity. You will not be coerced, but you will be given an opportunity to participate in a car wash. And I say it like that because, honestly, the parking lot's going to be a little bit crazy next Sunday. So come to church. Don't let it scare you away. Come to church, but plan on maybe sticking around a little bit longer because we're going to have a car wash set up in our parking lot, and it's not, you're not going to have to go to a car wash. It's not going to take you a lot of time. You just get in line right after you leave the service, and our youth ministry is going to wash your car, and it is a fundraiser. So they're taking donations, and they're taking donations for, for the Moyer family. And many of you know Stephanie Moyer is one of our um, youth leaders, and uh, she's also um, our custodian weekly at the church. She comes here and, and during the week to make sure everything's cleaned and vacuumed. And uh, Stephanie and, and Josh are uh, dear, dear uh, members of our church that we love. Um, and their son Joshua is wheelchair-bound. And Joshua is um, uh, at the age and at the weight that it is hard to move him in and out of their current vehicle because they don't have a wheelchair-accessible van for him right now. So they have to pick him up out of his wheelchair to put him in to his seat every time they leave the house. And... Um, 
they came to us and we said, you know what, we'd love to be a part of it. Now we talked to the youth leaders and the youth leaders said, she's a part of our youth ministry, Stephanie is, um, let's make this happen for this family. So we are beginning to raise some funds for the Moyer family to help them purchase a, um, a conversion van in which they can, be, they can have a wheelchair accessible van. Those are expensive. Um, so next Sunday, we'll give you some more information about that. But next Sunday, plan on sticking around, getting your car washed to support um, this family within our, our church. Um, also next Sunday, come back in the evening. You can stay all day if you want to. But um, in the evening of next Sunday at 6 o'clock in this room, we are going to have a special night of prayer for um, kids going back to school. Rika and I met this week, and she shared with me that one of the things that she did um, as a part of VBS was she allowed each of the kids, or the older kids at least, to write down fears, anxieties, things that they were concerned about. And she was surprised. She expected some to say this, but she was surprised at how significant of a majority it was that kids said that their number one anxiety right now involves going back to school and what the start of a new school year will be like. And all the challenges of last year's uh, school year and, and really the one before that too are a part of that. But um, we know that our kids are living with fears and anxieties um, in the aftermath of COVID and all of the changes in their schedules. We've all felt it, know that our kids have felt it. And so this prayer night, um, six to seven next Sunday, Everyone's invited to, whether you have young children or not. We're going to pray for people going back to school, and that's going to be pretty inclusive. We're talking about young children. We're talking about middle school, high school, college students. We're talking about educators. We have a number of educators in our um, church family, both um, uh, elementary school teachers all the way up to college educators that are part of our family here. And so we want to have a special night of prayer um, focused on that return to school. Um, that's coming over the next couple weeks, depending on the school system. So uh, next Sunday, August 8th, and when I say it's a back-to-school prayer night, I want the young kids to come. And, and what's going to happen is, is we, we, want the, we want the preschoolers to be a part of this night of prayer too, because we want you to be able to be praying as a family with other families in this room, praying, um, and we'll, we'll guide from the stage but families are going to be praying together, or families may be joining up with one other family with kids of a similar age or kids of totally different ages to just pray together for this start of the school year. So everybody's welcome. We'd love to have all of you here, but especially those that have um, children going back to school or those that are educators themselves. Um, and then Coming up uh, in August, we've got our congregational meeting coming, we have our missions conference coming, and we have flyers about our missions conference available in the lobby. And so if you didn't get one of these, they're, they're both at the Welcome Center and at, um, by the front door there. There's this little half-page flyer with a schedule for our missions conference, which is Saturday, August 28th, and Sunday, August 29th. There's a lot going on both for adults and for children, so please make note of it. There's lots of good opportunities to be challenged and to learn about what our missionaries are doing and how we can partner with them. But also, if you want to learn, I mean, simple things like uh, Bill Sims, what he's going to share with us is just how to tell your story, how to tell your testimony, how to tell somebody about Jesus through the use of technology. And, um, and Gladys Hillman and Jordan and Micah are all coming here to help encourage us to reach our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I hope you'll make that a priority um, and a part of your weekend. That's the last weekend in August.
Um, and then the last thing I want to tell you is um, also in the lobby, uh, I, I printed out these sermon discussion guides for this week. And this is something we'll, we're going back to doing. We used to do this often, and sometimes we had it in booklet form, sometimes we had it in sheet form. Um, but for the sake of our life groups, many of our life groups use um, the sermon discussion as a part of their curriculum. And because in September, we are hoping to start some new life groups. So if you have any interest in that, go ahead and let me know and you'll get some more information. We're going to have a life group launch event in September. And we're going to give people the opportunity to re-engage with our life group ministry. Um, but whether you're in a life group or not, I'd encourage you. Um, this has the sermon outline on it and some, some area to take notes um, but it also uh, has some discussion questions. So um, they, those are out in the lobby, and I don't mind if you go out and get them. Actually, we have a couple guys that have those. And so if you want one of these right now, raise your hand, and we've got a couple guys around the back that will bring it to you. Look at that. They were all ready, and I didn't even see what was in their hand. Um, so, and, and with that, um, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, because it's been a while, we're going back into the Gospel of Luke, um, and we took a little bit of a break. We started 2021 in the Gospel of Luke, and then we've taken, um, I guess, three breaks total, one for Ecclesiastes, one for the sabbatical, and one because I really wanted to spend some time in John 14 when I got back. But here we are, uh, back in the Gospel of Luke and in Luke chapter 8. Uh, Luke chapter 8 is all about listening. And the skill of listening. One of the most humbling experiences I remember was in my first, my very first counseling course that I took. About 10 or 11 years ago, I was pretty new at fellowship when I did it. And I was out of town taking the course in Atlanta. And uh, one of the assignments after the first night of the course was I had to call Jess, my wife. I had to call her and do a listening inventory. And what they, what they did is the counselor, gave, the professor gave me all of these questions. And I had to ask my wife to grade me on my listening skills. And it was painful. And it's like on a scale of one to 10, how much do I engage in eye contact when you're telling me something? On a scale of one to 10, how well do you feel like I remember things that you tell me? Just so you know, that one's still bad 10 years later. It was embarrassing 10 years ago. Haven't gotten much better about it, no matter how hard I work. Uh, on a scale of, of 1 to 10, do you feel like my body language shows I am interested in what you're saying? All of these things are good skills, self-awareness for somebody that's in a counseling setting. You need to know these things. You need to know how to actively listen to people, how to really engage in what they're saying and make them feel valued in what they're saying to you. I am naturally very, very bad at that. And so it's something that I've had to work on. But it's a, it's a skill, right? Listening is a skill that is developed over time. And one of the crazy things that I never quite saw from Luke chapter 8 is that in order to follow Jesus, the, the central skill that is required, especially in Luke chapter 8, is listening. You know, we were driving a lot. We drove 10,000 miles in two months this summer. We weren't planning on that many, but it was a lot. And one of the things that we learned is Jess and I approach our GPSs differently. I do not want my GPS to talk to me. I can look at it. I can see where I'm going. But for the most part, I'm going to kind of know where I'm going. And if it talks to me, it just distracts me and messes me up. 
Jess wants the GPS to talk to her, which is probably better because she spends more time looking at the road and less time looking at the GPS. So maybe she's right on that one. But she does not pay attention to it if it's not talking to her. So we had two, two wrong turns in the 10,000 miles of driving. And both came from this issue of the GPS talking. Because when Jess was driving one time, she did not get off where she was supposed to get off because the GPS didn't talk to her because I had it on my preferred settings where it wasn't saying anything. And she said, I'm going to stay on this road until the GPS tells me to get off of it. And then for me, just a couple weeks later, my mistake in driving, my wrong term, came exactly the opposite. Because I knew where I was going and was in the lane I needed to be in. And then the GPS started talking to me and I like freaked out. I'm like, why are you telling me to do this? I know where I'm going. And so I thought it was making an adjustment for some sort of traffic thing. And so then I got out of the lane, I missed the exit, had a big turnaround, all that sort of stuff. And really what we learned is, hey, we approach that differently. But Jess is right. How do you know where you're going if nobody's telling you where to go? How do you know where you're going if you're not listening to one that's telling you where to go? The whole point of the Gospel of Luke is follow me. Jesus says, follow me. And so what we're discovering as we walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke is what it means to follow him. And you've got to know where you're going and you've got to listen to know where you're going. Listen to the one that you're following or you'll never get there. Let's look in Luke chapter 8 together. I'm going to start in verse 1. We'll give a little bit of background and then we'll go into the first parable And really, there's three stories in Luke chapter 8 that all come around to this idea of listening and this central skill of following Jesus, listening to him, listening to the Jesus that you follow, listening to his word that he has given to us, listening to the spirit that indwells us. Luke 8, 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. Now, I want to set the stage a little bit differently This passage or this story is told three different times in three Gospels. Matthew tells a story. Mark tells a story. The added detail from Matthew that I think is amazing is that as Jesus was about to tell the story, the crowd that was encompassing him was so significant that he got onto a boat to get away from the crowd and literally spoke from the boat to tell this story. So it was was ancient first century mayhem in Galilee that day. There were people everywhere. There were great crowds. And so I want you to get a little bit of the sense of the environment when Luke says a great crowd was gathering. Matthew says a crowd, a great crowd was gathering that was so great, Jesus actually tried to get away from it and ended up addressing the crowd from a boat. And this is what he said. Verse five, a sower went out to sow his seed And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. 
Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's the central truth of this passage. It's all about listening, really hearing what Jesus is saying. Verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. Jesus just said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples kind of privately pulled him over and said, "Uh, we're trying to listen and we have no idea what you're talking about. That's the way that the disciples operated with Jesus and they recognized, hey, this whole story-based teaching is a little bit different for Jesus. This is the beginning of a shift in Jesus' teaching ministry. And the disciples recognize that and say, tell us what's going on with this story-based teaching that you're doing. Verse 10, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables. Parables are stories with a meaning. So that seeing, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in the time of testing they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This story is likely um, labeled with a header in your copy of the scriptures. Um, Perhaps it's called the parable of the sower, or other people call it the parable of the soils. Uh, It could easily be called the parable of the hearts because the the soil is really uh, hearts. Or it's the parable of the seed because the seed is the word of God. Whatever you want to call it, the meaning is, at one sense, uh, fairly simple. The sower is God himself. The seed is the word of God. And the different types of soil represent different types of heart conditions, And so when I say the central skill of following Jesus is listening to Jesus, we have to take care how we listen, how we hear. Because what Jesus is saying here is there are some people that are in that crowd out there. He's not talking about his disciples. He's talking about the crowd. Some people in that crowd are going to hear and not understand because their hearts have been hardened. It's not the first time God did this. You go back to Isaiah 6. It's quoted almost verbatim by Jesus in this when he says, seeing they will not see and hearing they will not understand. That is the missionary call of Isaiah. I think I talked about this recently where Isaiah 6, one of my favorite passages, an incredible awe-inspiring passage where Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God. And he sees the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne. And he sees angels worshiping God around the throne, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then the voice comes out, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And what does Isaiah say? I'm right here. I'll go. But it's only after Isaiah is broken down on his knees because he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. It's Isaiah 6, beautiful story. So then, so, so God calls out, who's going to go for me? And Isaiah says, I'll do it. It's me. I'll go. And, G- and then God gives him this call. Go and talk to people that are never going to listen to you. 
Go and keep on saying the same thing over and over, knowing that they will not understand. Go on and show them the beauty of who I am and of my plan, and know that they will not see it. Because those people had so hardened their hearts that God knew they would not listen to to Isaiah, but he sent Isaiah anyway. And now in his purposes for Jesus the Son, Jesus is relaying to the disciples, guys, this is happening again. Israel is, much of Israel is still in that same place they were in in Isaiah 6, where their hearts are so hard that they are not going to listen. And so I'm going to use these parables. And guys, some are going to get it, and some are not going to get it. And those that aren't going to get it, it's because of the conditions of their heart. It's a really interesting uh, study of how Jesus works in inaugurating his kingdom and bringing his kingdom in. Because the gospel he's preaching here, according to, to Luke 8.1, the gospel is the kingdom of God that Jesus is preaching. Jesus is preaching the entrance of a new kingdom, new authority, a new way of life. That's, that's Jesus' message here. The kingdom is coming, but it's coming in a very subtle way. And it's a way that that mankind would not expect a new kingdom to come in. Mankind would not expect a new kingdom to come in and some people not even notice that new kingdom has come in. That's not how you would do it, right? That's not how Alexander the Great would do it. That's certainly not how Caesar would do it. That's not how any emperor would do it. You don't just come in and conquer a people and take over and establish your rule and reign and allow anybody to miss it. No, the kingdoms of this world come in with great force, with great power. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom has come. And some of you are going to miss it because you're not listening. And you're not listening because your hearts aren't prepared. And so in all of it, it's it's a great challenge. Jesus' kingdom comes not as a meteor that comes and destroys everything and flattens everything and he just starts over. Jesus' kingdom comes as a seed in this story. And so if Jesus' kingdom came as a meteor, it would come with destruction and death and destroy everything and just start over. But no, no, no. Jesus' kingdom comes as a seed that brings life, that brings life in the midst of what's already there, new life springing up and and really an, an infinite amount of life. Have you ever thought about that? How much life is contained within a single seed? But we, we don't really know. I mean, one tree in one seed, okay, we start there. One seed produces one tree, that's great. How many seeds does that tree produce? And then how many seeds do the next generation of trees produce? An infinite amount of life captured in one seed, and that is the beauty of the story that Jesus is telling here. That the seed of the kingdom of God can produce great fruit and grow, and you cannot imagine how much this is going to grow, but you've got to have your ears on. You've got to have your heart ready. You've got to be listening. You know, oftentimes, we talk about Christians and we describe Christians with a, an action word that to be a Christian is to believe, right? We describe ourselves as believers, and that's good. One of the central things that we do as Christians is we believe the gospel. We believe the message of Jesus that we are sinners that have offended a holy God and that only through the sacrifice of Jesus are we able to then receive life and life eternal. It's a free gift that we're given. We believe that, and we are called Christians. But 
But belief is, is not enough in this story. Belief can be shallow. Belief can be divided. That's what these types of soil are going to teach us. That really, real belief digs down deep below the surface of the soil. Christians are believers, yes, but Christians are believers and also ongoing listeners to the word of God. We keep on following, we keep on listening, and Christians are responders. So I'm not saying don't describe yourself as a believer, but, but don't think that belief is, is all there is. Yeah, I believe God exists. Yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. If you can say that passively, then that truth hasn't really sunk in hasn't really sunk in below the surface of the soil. So in this passage, Jesus gives us four types of soil or four types of hearts. And so we'll go through each of them. And really, they're a test. This makes a good test for us to ask, how are your listening skills? Are you listening well? First, it's the hard soil, and, I, and, and this is easy to picture. The reason Jesus uses the analogies and the stories that he does is because it's easy to visualize. You're walking through a field, you're sowing seed, and, and if, you, if you walk through, your feet are wearing out a path. And if you use this field year after year, season after season, that path is going to be worn out more and more and more. And so you have this section where the, where the crop is growing and this section where you're just walking. And as you're pounding out that ground, that seed is not going to penetrate into the path because you have worn down that path. And so the hard soil is the hard heart that has been so worn down by life, so worn down by the busyness of, of the traffic, so worn down by everything else around that that heart does not allow the message to get past the surface. The message just hangs out above the ground. Uh, these are people who hear the message of the gospel or hear the truth about God in an intellectual sense or in a theoretical sense but never allow it to, to pierce through the mind and into the heart. And we know people are like this. The seed of the word of God must go below the surface, past the head, and into the heart, or it's not real. And, and if you don't allow yourself to emotionally engage in the loving Savior who has come and died for you, then, then you're keeping him at arm's length, you're keeping him at head level in such a theoretical sense that you may not actually have a personal encounter with him. And so the, tr the question with this test is, have you actually personally encountered the truth? Not in a theoretical way, not in an intellectual way of, okay, I guess that makes sense, so therefore it's true, but in a way that actually affects who you are and what you do. If you believe something strongly, it's going to affect you. But some of us, our hearts are so hard that we never allow ourselves to really experience the fullness of the truth. Have you ever had an experience where the truth of the gospel slapped you in the face, woke you up, and brought new life? Have you ever had an experience with the truth of God where something that you believed about God, something that you thought was true, or something that you thought, you thought maybe you believed, but then all of a sudden at one moment you're like, man, I just really didn't get it. 
I can't tell you how many young people I've talked to that have grown up in this church or other churches have had this experience where they've come to me years later in, in early adulthood and said, man, I get it. I get the gospel. And I heard it in a way I'd never heard it before. One such example I'm thinking of, I had to check the tape. And by that, I mean I had to go back and look at recorded sermons and notes that I said, because this was a young man that I grew up and that I taught, that I spoke to, and I preached the gospel to. And he comes to me and he says, you know what, I heard the gospel in a way I'd never heard it before. And now I understand it. And I don't know how I missed it all those years. And immediately I'm like, oh man, what did I miss? So I ask him, well, what's the gospel that you believe? And he described to me the gospel that I believe and the gospel that I preach. And he said, I don't know why. I just never received it. I never heard it. I never fully understood it. And, and that, that caused me to really go back and look at the tape. What, did I, what, have, I, what have I been teaching? Where, where did I miss it? Had he actually not heard the gospel in growing up in this church? And the truth is he'd heard the gospel but his heart wasn't in the place to receive it at the time. God was doing work in him all along the way. God was doing the soil work to till the soil, to break up the hard ground. But time after time, he had heard the gospel from his parents. He had heard the gospel from relationships. He had heard the gospel in this and other churches. But his heart was not yet ready to receive. And it's something we have to approach with great sober-mindedness to say that we can intellectually affirm the truth of, of the gospel while completely miss the transformation that comes in the gospel. And so take heed. Take heed how you listen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's just the first test. The next test is the shallow ground or the rocky soil. This is the, the, the seed that breaks through the surface that gets into the ground a little bit, but it can't ever develop roots. And so what happens is the heat chokes out the, uh, the plant because the roots can't grow any deeper than the rocks, and then the sun comes and scorches the plant, and the plant dies away. This shallow soil, whereas the rocky soil, or whereas the hard soil is intellectual, is intellect only. I believe the shallow soil can be described as emotion only. Because what Jesus describes here is a plant that grows really quickly. A plant that looks really good at first. And we've all seen those. We've all seen those people that get really emotionally excited about Jesus, emotionally excited about the things of God, emotionally excited about going out and sharing with others, only to, after a season of time, just sort of lose that zeal lose that energy, lose that hope. And then eventually some of them fall away altogether. That's the seed that's planted in the shallow ground. Because we can't have intellect only, we can't have theoretical only, but we can't have emotion only either. We can't just have an emotional experience with Jesus where we fall deeply in love and then what happens when we, you know what the rocks are? The rocks are the challenges of life. And that the sun the sun is the baking of the challenges of life. So, so what happens when your seed is planted in shallow ground? You face hard times and you're like, man, this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for peace that surpasses all understanding. I signed up for joy, 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 down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. What, what's going on? 
people are still getting sick. People are still dying. I'm, I'm still struggling to make ends meet. I'm still having relational crises. I, I, what happened here? And what, what happens is often people that have an emotional experience with the church or with Jesus, they come to Jesus for blessing but not for transformation. Or maybe they come to Jesus looking for a helper but not a king. They, they come for the resources of what Jesus might give, peace, hope, joy, bl- physical blessing in whatever sense, but they don't come to live under the authority of a new king that they're ready to worship, that they're ready to give up all for. They want relief, but they don't want reconciliation with a holy God. Or maybe they see their need as being sufferers in need of a solution and not sinners in need of a savior. All of those misconceptions lead to these shallow conversions or or emotional responses. And what they really result in What they demonstrate more than anything is when those seeds, that new growth that is not rooted in the truth, that is not rooted down deep in the truth of the gospel, when that that plant grows up and it's baked by the sun, what happens is the heat reveals where the true worship and where the true idols are. Because oftentimes, what you're still worshiping in those experiences experiences are the things that you lose in the heat. In the heat of the moment, you lose what you love, and that's actually what you were really in it for. You were in it for physical health, for physical blessing, for, for, for material blessing, for whatever. Personal experience without repentance and transformation is, is empty. This, I heard one person describe this as a half-Christian with an emotional experience And oh, by the way, half Christians are not redeemed sons and daughters of the king. And so, yeah, these these two are scary. The the hard soil and the shallow soil, the rocky soil, those are scary. But guys, it actually gets a little bit scarier. I think the hardest one is number three here, the divided heart. The divided heart is the weed-infested soil. And Jesus speaks of the person who receives the word of God here and then is choked out by the cares and concerns of this life. It's not that the the roots don't go deep enough. That's the rocky soil. It's that the roots are from the beginning choked out with other allegiances. That it's not ever just about Jesus. It's Jesus and something else. This is a heart that is not wholly devoted to Jesus, but is partially devoted to Jesus, maybe even really, really devoted to Jesus, but also really likes those material things, also really likes the acclaim of people, also really likes to feel like they have some sort of of, of power and authority in the workplace, really likes to have have control of the relationships they have. These are divided hearts who have divided allegiances. And you know, this is the one that's actually going to make people the most miserable, but the hard heart, those people don't, don't recognize what they're missing out on. The shallow heart, they give up on Jesus and they, they walk away and say, well, I tried that for a little bit, but I'm good. The divided heart, these are often the people that struggle for years and years figuring out, you know, I feel like I'm doing the right things. I'm going to church, I'm in a Bible study, I'm reading the word, but it just doesn't seem to be working. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to be as fulfilling as I thought it was gonna be. 
I'm just not seeing fruit born in my life. I'm not seeing people change. I'm not seeing myself change. How in the world am I supposed to live on mission and help other people change their lives? And often, that, that miserableness is because your heart is divided. Because you have this moment where you're really excited about Jesus and then you leave church on Sunday and you go back to work on Monday and Monday through Friday, you're not focused on Jesus. Your, your heart, your divided heart is back to being focused on what you are all about, on your career, on your income, on, on whatever. This is the most dangerous. This is the most difficult to discern. The hard soil is not, never looks like a Christian. The rocky soil looks like a Christian for a moment and pretty quickly falls away. The divided soil, it is really hard to tell over the long term. But you can tell by the lack of fruit or you can tell by the spoiled fruit. Uh, Charles Spurgeon described this group this way. He described this group, because within this group, some, you know, you can take different interpretations. Maybe these people are real Christians that are just really struggling. Maybe these people are not real Christians. Spurgeon said of the real Christian who is struggling, he said it like this. You know, once you are on the boat, you're not going to fall off the boat. Once you become a Christian, you're not going to fall off the boat. But, but there is a warning for Christians that have divided hearts and that don't fully surrender themselves over to Jesus. He said, If you're a real Christian and you're on the boat on the way to salvation, you're not going to fall off the boat. But you might fall on the boat. And if you fall on the boat, you might break all of your bones and spend the rest of your trip in the infirmary nursing your wounds. And what he means by that is that often some of us are not fully devoted to Jesus in such a way as to live in the joy and the life abundantly that he offers to us. We get so distracted, so tripped up over all of these other things that we never see ourselves really leaving, living out his kingdom purpose. We get to the point where we're so distracted by everything else that we're just sitting there as spectators within the kingdom of God and not on mission within the kingdom of God. This is what a divided heart looks like, full of thorns, full of distractions. And the thorns in this reflect life's worries, riches, and pleasures. But there's a fourth type of soil, the good soil. This is the receiving heart, the heart that is ready. The rocks have been dealt with, the thorns have been dealt with, the ground has been broken up, and this is the listening heart, the hearing heart. This is the heart that gives undivided attention to the word of God. You know, as we talk about listening, I have a, I have a mug to show you. This was a gift to me. Um, it has a Chinese character, so if any of you can read Chinese, you already know what it says, but I expect that's none of you. Um, there's an explanation that came with this cup. This is the Chinese symbol for listening. And David, there's a slide in there, but I skipped around and didn't follow my original plan. There you go. The Chinese symbol for listening, and this is true of several Chinese characters. They're they're composite characters where characters that that mean different things are brought together to form a a concept. So within this Chinese character that describes listening, there is the character for ear, there is the character for you, the character for eyes, the character representing undivided attention, the character representing the heart, and a character meaning king. And this was given to me because this symbol 
represents the depths of what listening is actually all about. You need your ears to listen. We all know that. But as I learned in that listening assessment I did, you also need your eyes to listen. You also need undivided attention. You also need your heart to be engaging with a person that is speaking to you, or you're not actually engaging with what they're saying. You know, oftentimes we all do this, especially if we're listening to somebody we disagree with, we're not fully engaging with their argument or their position. We are fully engaging with our response long before they finished describing their position. We're, we're in an argument in order to win an argument, not in order to learn, not in order to win a relationship over. But this character helps describe to us that, that listening is a complex idea. It requires the ear. It requires the heart. It requires the eyes. It also requires you. Your role in listening is just as important as the speaker's role in speaking. By the way, that's true this morning too. As much as I work on what I'm going to say and how I'm going to present God's word to you, you need to be listening, be actively engaging in how you're hearing the word of God, listening with undivided attention. And then that last symbol, the king. When you listen to somebody, you're actually giving that person for that moment, for that time, authority over your life to say, I'm going to really try to engage with what you're saying to me. So I'm going to put myself under your authority so that you talk, I listen. And then it'll be my turn to talk later. This was a gift to me, and it was made by um, a young woman with a connection to our church. And this is the way um, it concludes. She has a written description here that was rolled up in it. She says, to listen with the six components of the Chinese symbol requires practice and a lifelong choice to grow. This listening line of poverty, or of pottery, this listening line of pottery is for my mother, Wimberly Sims, who introduced our family to this symbol and its meaning, gave us the gift of her hard work to become a wholehearted listener, and for the honor of Jesus, who my mom is now with, and who created our hearts to be whole. So this is Bill and Wimberly's daughter made this, and Bill gifted it to me, and, um, and it became a special symbol within their family and how they communicated with each other. And I wanted to share it for you because I think it teaches us all something about what it really means to listen and engage. But the listening heart is the good soil. The good soil is happy to give undivided attention to the word of God, is happy to give authority over to the word of God, recognize God as the king, happy to give space and attention to the spirit of God indwelling us that illumines the message of the word. But you know, sometimes we can be really frustrated as good soil, or sometimes we can be really frustrated as we transition from one type of soil to the other. Because all of us have had seasons of time before you met Jesus when you had a hard heart, or maybe you had a, a rocky heart before you had good soil. Maybe some of us in this room are still in that position, like the couple of young people that I described, where you've heard the gospel a lot, but your heart has never been fully ready to receive it in fullness. And you've got to do some heart-level work today to say, am I actually the good soil today? Or am I still living in that weed-infested soil where my allegiances are divided? Am I still living in that rock-infested soil where I'm 
I, I'm going to get choked out by the cares and concerns of this life. The, the good soil is soil that has recognized who the sower is in this story. Who's the farmer? Who's the gardener? Who's the responsible party for, for turning rocky soil into good soil? Who's the responsible party for turning thorny soil into good soil? Well, yeah, I, I actively, we have to listen, we have to be aware, and we have to be engaging in careful listening. But, you know, the soil doesn't remove its own rocks. And, you know, the soil doesn't remove its own thorns. Jesus, he took the thorns for us. Jesus removes the distractions. Jesus removes the things that get in the way. And the Spirit of God illumines us in fresh new life. But perhaps this morning is an opportunity for some of us to give that over and to let him work. Maybe you're recognizing in what I'm describing that there are rocks and there are thorns in your heart even today. Well, let's give those to Jesus together. Maybe you're recognizing that there are distractions and idols in your life, whether it's your career, your family, your hobbies, your own pleasure, your own reputation, whatever it is. There are those things that are causing divided allegiance within you. It's time to get it right today. It's time to do the work to give those things over to Christ, to become the good soil that listens and listens well. I told you there's three stories here. I'm going to read through the other two real quick as we close. It's not just about sower and seed and soil. Verse 16, Jesus says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. I told you, it's about listening too. Take care then how you hear, for to one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So here's this, this story. We know these stories, right? If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've probably heard the parable of the sower, or you've heard the parable of the lamp or the candle, and you know that you don't want to put your light under, under a bushel. No, right? You, you don't want to hide your light. You want to let it shine so that everyone can see. But, but see the point of the parable here. The point of the parable is to keep listening, because the more you listen, the more truth you're going to receive. That's what this parable is telling us. But if you've rejected the truth, you're not going to receive anymore. So keep listening, keep receiving, keep maintaining your status as good listening soil. But also the second point out of this paragraph or out of this parable is that your listening affects others. That if you want to see people around you change, make sure you're listening to God before you worry about, hey, that guy, hey, you know, the preacher, he's saying some really good things today. He's talking about listening to God. You know, you really need to be listening to God. Worry about your own heart. Worry about your own heart and cultivating the light within you. And then maybe, just maybe, God's going to use you by his spirit to bring more light into those around you. Your listening has an incredible effect on growing a forest of trees all around as you so the seed that has been implanted in you, as you shine the light that has been given to you. But then there's one more story. I hesitate to call it a parable because it is something that actively happened. This is just an interaction. 
Verse 19, Jesus' mother and brothers came to him. They couldn't reach him because of the crowd. I told you, it was a crazy crowd. His own mom and his own brothers can't even get through to him. And he was told, your mother and brothers, Jesus, they're standing over there outside, and they desire to see you. And he answered them, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Is Jesus anti-mom? No. Is Jesus against his family in this passage? No. Jesus is redefining his family around the family of God. What it means to be a son and daughter of the king. How do you enter into Jesus' family? By hearing, but not just hearing. By hearing and doing. By not just believing, but by believing, listening, responding. Responding to the word of God. So here's our challenge for this morning. Um, The team's gonna come up and they're gonna lead us in one more song. But here's our challenge for this morning. Are you sure that you have rightly understood the gospel in such a way that it has actually come below the surface, dug down deep into the roots of your life, transformed you in such a way that you are now different because of the message of salvation that you received, the message of the salvation that says, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot that can't make it on my own. I'm completely broken. I'm completely incapable of making it to righteousness and goodness on my own. But Jesus died to give me life, and that's the only way I have right standing with him. And he died to give you life too. And in that offer, he doesn't just give you fire insurance for the end of days. He gives you a new life. He gives you a new purpose. He gives you a new source of hope and a new source of joy. And he gives you a single allegiance to him and to him alone. So we're going to sing. I'd encourage you to stand and sing together. But as we sing, let's do the hard heart level work to really ask ourselves, Am I that good soil or do I need to do some work this morning? If you need to do some work this morning, come forward. During the song, as AJ and them lead, come forward, come and let's pray. Let's talk through how you move on that transition from rocky to weed infested to good soil. Because we want to walk out of here today knowing that we know that we're that receiving soil. We're that soil that's ready to receive life and life abundantly from the king that's offered it to us. Let's stand and sing. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed. By heavy stone, Messiah still, and all alone. Oh, praise the name 
his name forevermore for endless days we will sing your praise oh lord oh lord our god and on the third and break of dawn the son of heaven rose again oh trample death where is your sin the angels roar for christ the king The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. excited about those endless days of singing his praise. And it is such a blessing to be here together in the presence of the Lord and be able to do work together of listening well to the word, of really turning ourselves over to him. So I pray that this attitude would continue as we go out of this place. Um, I do want to Lift up another prayer for a family this morning before we leave. Jerry mentioned it in his prayer, but was very careful of what he said for the sake of the grandchildren in the room. 
Uh, we did get a call this morning, and, and Denise Brown is in a very difficult position right now. And uh, the doctor used the phrase this morning, barring a miracle, we will be soon moving her to hospice. And so, on the basis of that, we're going to close in praying for a miracle and praying for that family this morning. But then as I come out of the prayer, we'll, we'll still proclaim the Lord's blessing. So pray with me. Father, we lift before you Denise, Greg, Sam, Carrie, Bryce and Finn, the grandchildren. Father, we pray your healing hand over Denise even now. Father, I pray for a surprising work of healing over her body. Father, we, we come to you with the desire of our heart to see our sister healed. But Father, we also come in full knowledge and full dependence upon you, that you are the one that numbers all of our days. And so we entrust our sister who we love to you, knowing that your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. And so, Father, above all else, bring comfort, joy, and peace to the entire family. Give wisdom to Greg as he loves her well. Give comfort to Denise as she prepares for what comes next. Father, give joy and wisdom to Sam as he serves his parents well. Father, I pray your presence, your presence in that hospital room now and in that family moving forward. We love you, Father. We trust you. And on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus, we have full confidence that you have achieved the victory over death, over every disease, and over the grave. And so we pray these things knowing that at the end of all days, we will be alive with you forevermore, singing your praises. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you would, remain standing and receive the blessing of the Lord. From Numbers chapter 6, the high priestly blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.